Praise God. I'm going to do what a lot of you want to do, throw this mask on the ground. But I'll save it for later when I talk to some of you. Um, good morning. Good to see each and every one of you again. Um, now you can see my smile. I'm not frowning at you. I'm excited to be here um, and fill in for Pastor David, who is enjoying the beach and a good burger. I'm just kidding. I don't know what he's doing this morning. He's probably tuning in, going to a church himself. But uh, we do miss him. Um, but we do understand that even that uh, our church leader, our pastor and his wife, they need um, a second to themselves as well. So uh, I'm rejoicing even the fact that we get to uh, allow and have the means to have a pastor that can go and rest for a week and come back rejuvenated because he is the one who is leading us, leading this flock. Amen. So today we'll be reading from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Philippians Chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. But we're going to focus in on two specific verses. There's a lot going on in that, um, the beginning of that chapter, but we're going to focus in on chapter 10 and 11. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 11, but we're going to focus in on verses 10 and 11, okay? I wanted to ask you this morning to, to start off and kind of pick some of your brains. I don't know, some, maybe some of you don't aren't awake just yet, but... Can you fully know someone if you only spend two hours with, with them each week? Can you fully know someone if you only spend two hours with them each week? The answer is no. Because each time you, you see that person, what it is, it becomes this time of catching up every time, just trying to catch up every week. You see them one week, so, so how have you been this past week? How is everything going? What do you have coming up this week? The next time you see them, well, how's everything going? How was last week? How's this week coming up, right? You got to catch up all the time. But what I'm trying to say is this, is that you have to rush through that relationship. You have to rush through that time together if it's only two hours, right? All right, let's take a little deeper. If a man only spends intentional time with his wife, I can say that, wife, two hours out of the week, only two hours out of the week with his wife, do they really know each other? Maybe at a surface level, like right up here, right? But there's no depth to it because every time you speak, it's all about just the basics. Was work okay? Did you eat? Did you do this? And whatever other uh, rules and, and roles you have in your own personal household, right? There's no depth. What I'm trying to get is that you can't grow in that relationship, whether it's with your wife or husband, whether it's with your, um, one of your best friends, whether it's with your own children, whether it's those that are, are relatives to you nearby, you cannot grow in a deep relationship if you only spend two hours with them. Some of you might have stated this phrase at least once in your lifetime, I feel distant. I said it. I said it to that lady right there. But we, we've communicated that before. So some of you might have been able to relate to me in that phrase that you shared with uh, maybe somebody in your lifetime. I feel distant. But when someone that you care about so much tells you that, it kind of, hopefully it kind of makes your heart kind of shrink a little bit like, ouch, I wish you didn't feel distant. Or, men... I can't speak for women, I just, you know, I just can't. I can't understand your brain just yet. But I'm going to speak for the men. 
we often say, but well, what do you mean? I, I did this around the house, and, and I did this, and we went out for ice cream, and then this. But we always try to defend our, our answers, right? The men are like, leave us alone. But it's true. We say that, but sometimes, men, we, we, we offer excuses. And this is for both men and women, but I can only speak from the men's standpoint. When someone you care about tells you this, you want to do everything in your nature to fix it. They say, I feel distant. You're like, all right, what's the game plan? Uh, you know what? I'm going to take off on Friday. We're going to head out this weekend early. We're going to go to the boat. We're going to go to the beach. We're going to go to Chick-fil-A and Roanoke. I mean, that's exciting too, right? So whatever it is, you're going to put aside that time. You're going to do whatever it takes to make sure your husband, your wife, your children, uh, your best friend, your relative, whoever it may be, you're going to make sure that they feel cared for after they just told you I feel distant, right? You're going to do everything in your power to change it. You're going to try to listen more. You're going to try to communicate better. You're going to make yourself available. And you're going to intentionally seek out this person so that they don't feel distant anymore, right? Let's dive into Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. Again, we're going to read through, but we're going to focus in on, on the, the last verses in this section. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those manipulators of the flesh. For it is we who are, circum who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself, Paul, have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in the regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church as for legalistic righteousness, faultness, verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Verse 10, I want to know, this is Paul speaking, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, God, this morning as we dive into your word, as we dive into the word that you spoke first to Paul and are now speaking to us through your word, God, may you give us understanding. May you open our hearts to receive your truth. And may you open our ears to hear it, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. So what we're going to be talking about today is the power, is knowing the power and sharing the power of Jesus Christ. But we're going to be talking about it, as we just read, we're, we're seeing it through Paul's lens. I mean, he gave us his resume. He gave us his, uh, 
uh, I guess, uh, his list of accomplishments, but they were in the flesh. He said, we can't boast on anything, but if anyone boasts, I can boast all the more because I can do. I've done all this, and all this has, has been done for me. I've been through all this. He gives us his resume. If he were to boast, he would boast in those earthly things, right? But he counts it all loss. He counts it all loss. He counts it rubbish that he may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own. So we're fast-forwarding through all those verses, right? Because I want to I lead up. I didn't want to just jump into verse 10. We have to understand what's going on. So he's, he's talking about being boastful and self-righteous, and that if anyone can do that, it's him. Because on an earthly standard, he, can, he has all these things to boast about. But he's saying, all these things that I can boast about are nothing compared to knowing Christ. Are nothing. That I'd rather not even mention them because, you know what? I just want to mention that I know Christ. And I want to be found in him. I want to know Christ more. So he's not saying this. I want to have more zeal as a Pharisee. He's not saying I want to um, be... Uh, you know, above my house, I want it to say Hebrew of Hebrews. I don't want to have a title of this world, but all I want is to know Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. All of it's, it's worthless. All these titles that he had in the past, it's worthless. He even, he even reminded us of, of what he uh, had been doing in the past, persecute, uh, persecuting the church. And he was legalistic. He was self-righteous until we met Christ. And now he's telling us, all I want to do is to know Christ fully. So that brings us to verse 10. When we're talking about this power, and by the way, this, this sermon is titled, Do You Know Him? Do You Know Him? And we're going to dive into what that question really means, do you know him? And him is Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Not know of him, not know about him, but do you know Jesus? There's a personal relationship that we can seek out. But when it comes to the power of the resurrection, it says this in verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So let's talk about this power. Before we dive into the explanation, let me just tell you up front, if you want the answer, you can leave as soon as I mention this, and you'll be great, and you'll just be awesome. Please don't. But just to give you the answers right away, what will this power do? The power of the resurrection, knowing the power of Christ, what will it do for me? What will it do for you? Well, first off, it's something that the world can't give you. A point of re relatability with Christ, because what Christ accomplished you now have accomplished through faith. So all the things that Christ accomplished, dying on the cross, forgiving us of our sins, rising again on the third day, being at the right hand of the Father, all those that, that Christ has accomplished through faith, you have also accomplished. Christ's righteousness is now your righteousness. Christ justifying us, you are now justified before God. Amen? This power will give you, when it comes to the question, what will this power help me do? This power, power will give you purpose in your life because you will truly know your Savior and be able to live for God. Okay? How can you obtain this power of Christ, Jacob? Through faith in Christ and living for Christ. It's twofold. Professing faith in Christ and living for Christ. Okay? 
What are practical ways to know the power of Christ in me or in you? Well, practical ways to to know Christ. Practical ways to know the power. Spend time with Jesus. Speak to him. Communicate with him. Listen to him. Read his words. Surround yourself with those who spend time with him. So let's go back to the question I asked from the get-go. Have you ever said to someone, I feel distant? Is, is, has, have you said that to, to God? God, I feel distant. Or have you felt the need, or have you felt God reaching out to you saying, so-and-so, I feel distant. As a creator, I feel distant from you. What are practical ways to know the power of Christ in you? Or to grow in that? Spend time with Jesus. So I went through those three questions. What will the power do for you? How can you obtain the power of Christ? And what are practical ways to know the power of Christ more? So if you want to leave right now, you could. And I hope you remember that. But let's dive into what that looks like and what, that, and what Paul is telling us um, through these verses. And we're, we're taking a peculiar, uh, I guess, few verses and we're diving into what Paul lived for. It's not saying, you know, a lot of the Bible talks about thou shalt this, thou shalt that, right? And that's good because it's telling us directly and it's clear. Well, as a believer, I should. I need to, I ought to, but here we're looking at at it through a lens of Paul. That's simply what we're doing, okay? So it's a a different perspective, but it's going to be definitely encouraging to us. But the background of Paul, you you all, I'm sure some of you know, he's been a past persecutor of the church. He used to kill Christians. Paul used to kill Christians. He was a very self-righteous person. He wanted to do things for his own gain. Remember all the titles that he had? He loved that. He's, you know, I'm sure in his past life he would just uh, always share that with people. Hey, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I have so much zeal. Have you heard of me? Oh, I kill Christians. Yeah. He's writing from self-experience right here. So oftentimes we share stories from, with one another, right? And better yet, it's so much, it has so much more depth when we share a story an experience with someone that we have gone through ourselves, right? So we're hearing from Paul today, and he wants us to know that we cannot do anything righteous on our own, but that we can also get to know Jesus, and that was his true, true desire. So I'm going to read verse 10 and 11 one more time, and we're going to dive in even more. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's desire, and I believe it it could and it should be our desire as well. Truth number one that I want to share with you comes from this part. Truth number one comes from this part of the verse, that I may know him. Truth number one is this. You don't need to focus on your performance to know God. I hope some of you are just like, that's a... That's a breath of fresh air. I don't have to focus on how many times I do this or how many times I do that or, or this or that. It's important that you don't do sinful things, but you don't need to focus on your performance. What we ought to focus on is the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, his performance, which was exactly what we needed, right? So this is a simple plea of Paul in, in, this, in this section right here. This is unknown to those that are legalistic. Let me be real with you. Because those that are legalistic in their faith always think, well, 
um, they feel self-righteous in their stance before God and before others. They see themselves as a higher-ranking Christian than those that are apparently lower than them, right? So we're speaking about the legalists, legalists here, that they don't focus on, on, on the performance of Christ, that what Christ did is enough for me to be redeemed of my sins and to live in freedom, right? What they focus on is like, I've done everything that I could, so now I'm declaring that I stand justified and free before God. They base it on their own performance other than the performance of Christ, which was enough. Amen? So, but Paul wanted Jesus, not self. It says here, it was a plea unknown to the legalists who must necessarily focus on their own own performance and status to find some kind of peace with God. Their peace is relied on what they do day to day, not on the accomplishments of Christ. But Paul wanted Jesus, not self. So that's what we're reflecting. We're, we're, we're understanding the words of Paul, and we're saying, you know what? Paul had a right perspective. Although he, had, he was persecuting Christians, if it was based on his own doing, he would have failed. Right? But he's basing it on the, the work of Christ. So guess what? Let, let me encourage you real quick. In case we're trying to catch up, and there might be, let me be real, there might be some of you that are trying to catch up every two hours on Sunday morning. You're trying to catch up with your faith. You're trying to catch up with with. Uh, who you are and your identity as a Christian. But let me remind you real quick. Jesus loves us. Jesus lived a perfect life for us. Jesus accepted the call to the cross. Jesus surrendered his life to the will of God. Jesus died for our sins on the cross. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit for us. Do you see a pattern? We cannot live for God without Christ. It's all his doing. Jesus did this. Jesus did that. Nowhere did you see Jacob did this, Jacob did that, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that. It's all by Christ's doing, amen? We can't do it on our own. So don't try to, church. Don't, don't fall into um, what we're being really warned about in this section, that we ought not to boast in our righteousness, excuse me, boast in, in Christ, both, boast in the righteousness of Christ, but don't boast in our self-righteousness, excuse me. We cannot live our lives apart from God because we can't. We have no righteousness on our own. In order to live for God, we have to depend on him, amen? And that's what Paul did. And I want to share this. To know Jesus is not the same as knowing him histor- his, his historical life. Knowing Jesus is not the same as knowing his historical life. Simply knowing that he died on the cross isn't enough. You have to believe that he died on the cross. You have to put your faith in the fact that he died on the cross. It is not the same as knowing the doctrines regarding Jesus. It is not the same as knowing his moral example. A lot of people say he was a good person. I'm here and I'm going to be real with you and I'm cutthroat. And I'm, I, I guess I learned it from my dad or from my mom. You know, growing up in a military family, they just tell, tell you like it is. You don't, you don't cut it. You're not going to do okay. Right? They used to just be straight up with me. My dreams got crushed. I'm just kidding. But it's not enough to just think he was a good teacher. But guess what? If, if you're there, if that's realistically where you're at today, well, I just like learning about Christ because, you know, he was a good person. He's the greatest example. True. But is that enough? No, we ought to learn and grow in our, in our knowledge and relationship with Christ. Amen? And that's possible today. If you have never heard it before, you know this morning 
that just as Paul desired to know, not know of, not know about just what Christ did, but to know in relationship with Christ, that you're able to actually know Jesus yourself. If you've never heard it anywhere else, you heard it here this morning. So we can say that we know, when it comes to um, uh, knowing somebody, you know them through talking with them, spending time with them, through maybe being a coworker of them, and you do more than just say, good morning, good morning, Bob, good morning, Jacob, and that's it. But it's like you know them, because you, maybe you spend time with their family. Maybe you, you go out to coffee and you converse. You're intentional with this, with this individual, and you get to know one another, a relationship, right? Or maybe it's a husband with their wife or a wife with their husband, uh, parents with their children, whoever it may be. We can say that we know someone because we recognize them. We can distinguish what is different about them compared to other people. So the more you get to know someone, the more you, hey, I'll share you got a haircut today. Why? Because I see I'll share it. Every Wednesday. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure. But I can, you know, I know Valshara, and I can tell, hey, you did something different with your hair. Angela, you painted your fingernails. They look great. I know her, and I know things about her because they change because we spend time together, right? We can say that we know someone because we are acquainted with what they do. We know the baker because we get the bread from them. We know the people down the street at the gas station you love to go to, and you're always like, hey, Xandra, how you doing today? And you see them all the time, you're like, hey, how are your kids doing? You're acquainted with them. We can say that we know someone because we actually converse with them. You're on speaking terms with somebody. So maybe it's just someone that you speak to all the time. You get to know them. What, we're, what I'm trying to reiterate again and again is that it's a relationship. It's a relationship that you can actually get to know a person, right? We can say that we know someone because we spend time in their house and with their family. That's another way. And lastly, we can say that we know someone because we have committed our life to them and live with them every day, sharing every circumstance and experience of life, as in marriage. A lot of you in here um, are married, so that person is the closest person to you that is living on earth, I hope. <laughs> I hope, right? Or you're striving to. You're striving to. So Angela and I just got married, but we're striving to know each other more and to know each other at a deeper level, not just this, you know, flirtatious friend that we, you know, we date and stuff like that. No, deeper, one flesh, right? So although we went over all these ways that you can know somebody, guess what? Yet beyond all this, there's a way of knowing Jesus. In all of these ways, yeah, it goes beyond them. It goes eternally. So you can know Jesus by talking to him. You can know Jesus by, by stopping by and saying, hey, like you do um, when you're getting bread from the bakery, when you're going to the gas station, when you see that person that you want to talk to or you go out to coffee, whatever. In the same way that you get to know someone here on earth is the same way, but even more that you get to know Christ. But you have the same ability. So we might be saying realistically, well, I don't really know how to, how to uh, build a relationship with Christ. You're hearing it today. So take the practical steps that you do in getting to know someone that you care about and just direct it towards Christ. When you want to catch up with someone and you want to hang out with them, what do you do? Hey, call them up. When you want to get to know Christ, call them up. Christ, I want to get to know you. Lord, may you meet me here. I'm going to read your word. May you enlighten your word so that I can understand it. May you open my ears. Lord, I want to and read it for what it is. And if you need help, guess what? Surround yourself with others that are seeking Christ. Amen.
There's a quote by Charles Spurgeon. Every time I think of Spurgeon, I think of how he used to prep his sermons. Anyone know he used to prep his sermons the night before he preached? He wouldn't touch anything. I guess he was so filled with the Holy Spirit that he had like this brewing of the Holy Spirit, like this coffee brewing, but it was a Holy Spirit brewing in his soul all week long. And then Saturday night, he's just like, and write it down and wrote it down, right? But that's always what I think about. But I want to share a quote from him today about knowing Christ. They tell me he is a refiner, that he cleanses the spots. He has washed me in his precious blood, and to that extent I know him. They tell me that he, clothed the na- he, he gives clothes to the naked. He has covered me with a garment of righteousness, and, that, and to that extent I know him. They tell me that he is a breaker, that he breaks fetters, that he has set my soul at liberty, and therefore I know him. They tell me that he is a king and that he reigns over sin. He has subdued my enemies beneath his feet, and I know him in that character. They tell me he is a shepherd. I know him, for I am his sheep. They say he is a door. I have entered in through him. I know him as a door. They say he is food. My spirit feeds on him as on the bread of heaven, and therefore I know him as such. What he's getting is that he's, he's understanding how other people know Christ, but he's getting to know Christ himself. So maybe you need to revamp what Christ has done for you. You need to remember. So maybe it comes to the point where you're asking, well, do I really know Christ? And I hope you're asking yourself this, that this morning. Do I really know Jesus? Are we ever going to get to the point where we're like, oh, I know everything about him? Not necessarily, but it's a growing process. In this lifetime, we we grow in our knowledge and our relationship with Christ. But I hope you're asking yourself that question this morning. And this is a hard hitter. This is a hard hitter. Do you know him? Do you know him? Truth number two comes from this part of the verse. To know him in this part. And, And the power of his resurrection. Truth number two is this. Knowing Jesus means knowing his power. You can't, know, you can't know Jesus and not know his power. Or if you know the power of Jesus, means you know Jesus, right? The new life that is imparted to us now, not the one, that, not the one we get when we die. So we, get, we receive the power today. We're, there's a lot to look forward to. There's all this talk about heaven, right? Well, guess what? You get to experience the power of Christ in you today, right now. And if you're not experiencing the power of Christ, guess what? Ask the Lord to help you. Ask the Lord to... to Put inside of you his power to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I've been struggling with this for years. Lord, this person in my life has given me a headache. Lord, I need your help to to just love them. Lord, there's a struggle in my life. Lord, I'm not feeling healthy. I'm feeling weak. Lord, give me your power. Give me your strength. So Paul, what he's saying is that he doesn't want to just talk about Christ. He doesn't just want to know about him. Oh, I, I... heard that he does this. No, he's speaking about it in this verse. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He wants to experience Christ. All right, so cool. The, the, the uh, title of the sermon is called, Do You Know Him? All right, better question. Do you want to experience Jesus? Do you want to experience Jesus? I know some of you are saying, yes, yes, yes. Get on with it. 
Paul is here not thinking so much of the power displayed in the resurrection as much as the power that comes out of the resurrection. So there's power in the resurrection, but he wants to, he's talking about the power that comes from it. So now that Christ is raised from the dead, how can I experience that resurrection? That's what Paul's getting at. Before, you know, we could talk about, you know, that moment that he raised from the dead, and that's beautiful too. But what about us today? How can we experience that resurrection power? I want to share with you a few points that will kind of clarify the weight of the resurrection of Christ. What weight does this resurrection carry? And what does it mean for us today? So if there's any point that you understand or any point that you're listening to the sermon, go ahead and tune in right now. If you've been napping, go ahead and wake up. Check it out. The power of his resurrection is an evidencing power. It is the evidence in the seal that everything Jesus did and said was true. So the power that comes from the resurrection is an evidencing power. The power of the resurrection is also a justifying power. It is the receipt and the proof that the sacrifice of the cross was accepted as a payment in full. Justifying. The power of the resurrection, guess what? In that moment, solidified, those that are in Christ are now justified before God. If you don't know what justifying before, uh, being justified means, it means this. The moment Jesus died on the cross, he laid to rest, and he rose again. That moment, if you put your faith in that, the truth of, of Christ's sacrifice, you are now in right standing before God. Oh, what do you mean right standing? Why do I need right standing before God? Because before Christ, before the redemption of sins, we're sinful, we're wicked. We don't, we don't meet the mark. God's standard, beyond all of our heads, over it by miles. How can we reach God's standard? We can't on our own. The moment we give our life to Christ, we are now justified through Christ before God. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. And now we, I mean, do you know how powerful that is? We can stand before God and say, God, because I'm found in the sacrifice of your son, I am now standing here cleansed from all wickedness, free, liberated. I mean, I hope some of your gears are turning in your brain, realizing the power of being justified before God. So when God looks at you, he sees Christ. So when God looks at you, he sees the sacrifice of his son on the cross. Amen. He doesn't see the wrongdoings of your, of your uh, younger days. He doesn't see the wrongdoings of your, of your uh, sins today. He doesn't see the dirt and the filth that we are. Ooh, that one hurts, right? That we are. Ouch. But it's true. Without Christ, we are nothing. But when you give your life to Christ, you are now justified before God. So the resurrection is a justifying power. The power of the resurrection is also a life-giving power. It means that those who are connected with Jesus Christ receive the same resurrection life. So in the moment that you give your life to Christ, you are now part of that resurrection. It's like, well, that's kind of weird. What, can you explain that, Pastor? Um, or Jacob? It means that the same way that Jesus raised up from the dead is the same way that you are being raised to life from your sinful past. The same way. So you are now walking in newness of life. The same way that Jesus laid to rest in the tomb, but rose again. That same way you're putting to rest all your, your wickedness. Or excuse me, Christ is putting your, to rest all your wickedness and sinfulness. But you are being raised again in newness of life. So we kind of talk about that in baptism, right? 
lastly, the power of his resurrection is a consoling and comforting power. And this, this has been very, very relevant to our church today. Check this out. It is um, consoling and comforting power. It is, excuse me, it promises that our friends and loved ones who are dead in Christ live with him today. That's been very relevant to our congregation, huh? A lot of friends, a lot of family have been going through a hard time and some have passed away. But you know what the resurrection does? It is a consoling and comforting power. The power of the resurrection comforts us. Why? Because it's true and it lets us know those who are found in Christ are now with him in heaven. Amen? So the power of Christ is so many things. Evidencing power, justifying power, life-giving power, consoling and comforting power. This isn't just some word that we use to make you feel good. This isn't just some word that we use to kind of encourage you for a moment and then you walk out the church doors and you forget, well, what kind, what kind of power of Christ? No. See, a lot of the time we have to leave our earthly minds, we have to uh, forget our earthly minds, and we have to take upon our minds the power of Christ. We have to take the perspective of the world, toss that to the side, and adopt the thinking of Christ, the thinking of God, right? So oftentimes we're like, this world's terrible, there's nothing uh, 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 to live for, there's no purpose of life, there's nothing, 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 and we're just over here just throwing a fit, right? Because this life, if you, if you live apart from God, it's kind of miserable. It's kind of miserable. That's why we say that Christ is our hope, because we know that in this lifetime, and we switch from that thinking over here, and we know that in this lifetime there is purpose to live for God, that our life isn't worthless because died, uh, Christ died on the cross for us. We know that there's purpose in this lifetime, and that we take on this eternal perspective. We leave the earthly thinking behind, and we take upon the mind of Christ, and we take on godly thinking. And that comes through reading God's word. Do you know him? Do you know his justifying power? Do you know his evidencing um, power? Do you know his life-giving, consoling, and comforting power? Truth number three comes from this part of the verse. And the fellowship of his sufferings. I'm going to read it one more time. I want to know Christ. We went through that point of truth number one. And the power of his resurrection. Truth number two. And the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. That's where it comes from. Truth number three is this. Knowing Jesus also means relating to him in sufferings. Jacob, that doesn't sound good. I don't want to suffer with anybody. Let me paint the picture. Because by the end of this, you're going to say, you know what? I want to suffer with Christ. What? That doesn't sound good at all. Let me, let me paint the picture for you. So, it is all part of following Jesus and being in Christ. We can say that suffering is part of our heritage as the a, as a children of God. It says in Romans 8, 17, it says this. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ... If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Okay, cool. Awesome verse. It makes sense. It it relates to suffering. What do you mean, Jacob? Well, don't you really grow closer to someone when you go through hard times together? Some of my brothers in Christ, we've been through some hard times together. Their struggles, my struggles, just being, you know, intentional. You know, I always say this, and I I promise you one of you is going to beat me upside the head the next time I say this. But who's your 2 a.m. friend? And the reason I say this is because, like, we're, we're meant to live life together, all right? So when it comes to suffering with Christ, 
let's take a step here first in understanding that. When you suffer with your wife or your husband, not suffer because of them, but suffer with them, when you suffer because of, uh, uh, through, uh, with your children, they're getting bullied at school, and they're coming home crying on the bus, and you suffer with them. You're like, I love you. You know what? I know when you go to school, it can be discouraging, but when you come home, it's a safe place. When you suffer with uh, uh, someone who is uh, terminally ill, when you're by the hospital bed, and they don't look good. They don't look good. But you're saying, you know what? I'm suffering with you. I'm here beside you, and I feel for you, and I'm here, and I'm not going anywhere. You suffer with them. So during those times, you're growing in relationship with them because you are there at their worst. But as well as uh, suffering and growing in relationship with someone um, in those moments, you can also grow in relationship with someone as, you, as you're there observing their successes. Graduation happened for a lot of students, huh? Well, you're rejoicing with them. Parents are rejoicing with their children saying, hey, or, or um, grandparents are rejoicing with uh, uh, those that they love so much. And you're saying, you know what, I'm growing in relationship with you because now at a, at a catapult moment in your life, you just graduated, I'm rejoicing with you, and it's a rich moment in your life and in their life, right? So what that is is you're growing in relationship. But back to the suffering part. When you're there at every hour of the day with someone that you love, it shows that you're suffering with them. Have you ever had a moment in your life where someone called out to you for help and you didn't help them? That's not suffering with somebody. But you grow closer to someone when you suffer. When you go through the depths of life and the hardships of, of this world and the evil that sometimes happens to each and every one of us, that's when you grow closer to somebody. So whether friends or spouses or family members, when two people suffer together, there is a tie between the two that nothing can separate. Typically, you grow closer together through successes, but it's something different when you suffer with somebody. So it says in this verse, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, being conformed to his death. This reminds us that Christ, that being in Christ also means being in his death. Paul was facing the possibility of becoming a, a, a martyr in this time. He could relate literally to what Christ went through. He was facing the possibility of dying for his faith, right, in this time. So it's being in the death of Christ. So when Christ died, our sinful nature also died. And it continues to say, Becoming like him in his death, verse 11, and so somehow to obtain the resurrection from the dead. If by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And I want to read this to you. Paul was not morbidly focused on suffering and death in, in the Christian life. He wasn't just saying, woe is me, I'm going to die, I'm going I'm to take on uh, what Christ went through, and I'm just going to live this life of lowliness. He wasn't just focused on that. He saw that there was a, necessity, uh, uh, a necessary way to the goal of resurrection life right now. And the ultimate resurrection from the dead. A resurrected life in the future was Paul's hope. So he was living this life 
right? But he was looking forward to the future, and his hope was Christ. But he knew in order to feel the, the, the fullness of Christ and to know the power in his own life, to experience God in his life, he needed to understand that he was going to suffer for Christ. But some of you are still saying, I don't know if I want to suffer for Christ. And I know, I know it's real, that's cutthroat, and that might not be the most encouraging thing to you. But if you want to live a life worthy of God, if you want to live a life that's worth living, it's worth living for God. And if you want to know Christ in your life, we ought to take upon ourselves that, hey, there's going to be some hardships. There's going to be some hardships. But guess what? The, the, the struggles, the troubles, the trials that Christ went through are also now your struggles and trials. But guess what? What's better than that? I, I can leave it right there and we'll all leave discouraged, right? But guess what? The glories, the victories, the wins, the W's of Christ are also your victories, your wins, and your triumphs, which is all the more better than the sufferings, right? But we still got to go through both. We still obtain both. It says, I may obtain. Paul didn't doubt that he was saved, but he did long for the completion of salvation through the resurrection of his body. Our salvation will come to completion when we are with Christ. So what does it mean to be saved? To be saved means I have given my life to Christ, and I am now in right standing before God, and when Christ died on the cross, he died for my sins, and I accept that, and now I want to live for Christ. Being saved is being saved from your sins, right? Cool. But it's being saved from your sins so that you don't have to pay the penalty on your own. Amen? So when salvation comes to completion, that's when you're with Christ. So it's like an equation. I hate math, by the way. I hated it. I failed it. All, every single day, I felt like I failed math. Sorry, moment of truth, vulnerability. I still have bitterness towards my math teacher. But I hate it. But I love Christ. <laughs> uh, the, the equation is this. Salvation means being saved from the death you ought to have died in eternity in hell, but given life in heaven. Salvation, it's in the word salvation, being saved from something. You're saved from hell and given heaven. So when our salvation comes to completion, that means we'll be with Christ. Amen? The moment you die and are with Christ, your salvation has come to completion. The equation has been equaled. Remember that Paul wrote this having experienced more suffering than possibly will ever experience. And he wrote it from a custody of Roman soldiers in that day. Should we take upon the, the, the thoughts of Paul? Let's, let's put, or when I say, when I read the verse and I say, I want to know Christ, when I say I, think about yourself. Make it personal for you. Is this you? Is this your desire? I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of, his, of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you want to know God? Do you want to experience the Lord in your life? Power to overcome sin, power to overcome bitterness, anger, uh, division, whatever it is that you're going through, pride, anything. Do you want to know the power to overcome that? Do you want to know Christ? So in wrapping this all together, we can play catch up here all week at church and not grow. 
Remember, if you spend two hours with somebody and then see them next week, you're kind of catching up. You're like, oh, all right, so how was this past week? How, what do you got going on this week? If we can keep doing that with God, but you won't grow. We won't grow. We can continue checking in and checking the box for church, but do you really know him? We can do this all our lives, but how many years are going to be wasted if we come to church and just say, you know, clap our hands and go, okay, well, I came to church, cool, and you just don't talk to him the rest of the week? But there's richness in knowing God. Guess what? He loves you, and he wants to dine with you. He wants to eat with you. He wants to spend time with you. Obviously, he's not going to be there. You're going to be like, hey, what's up? I mean, you could. If that's the way he's talked to God, then no shame in your game. Do it. But he wants to live in your life. He wants to be in and through your life. But we have to welcome him. We have to seek him out. So first, just to recap, you don't need to focus on your own performance to know God. Straight out the gate. Don't focus on, don't focus on your performance. Focus on the, on the performance of Christ on the cross. Secondly, as you continue knowing Jesus, you can know his power in your life. As you grow in your faith, and maybe you're here, maybe you have the faith of a mustard seed, but guess what? That'll move a mountain. Maybe you have the faith of a mustard seed, and you're like, I mean, I feel this tug towards Jesus. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to play it safe. I step into church, and I come back out. I'm going to stay with that little faith I have. I, I know he's going to complete my life. I know I have this emptiness in my heart, and I know he's going to complete it, but you know what? I just have this little doubt. I'm going to stay with the mustard seed of faith. Some of you might be in that position, and some of you might be like, I know Christ, but guess what? I want to know more. I want, I want all I can get. I want all I can get. I want a growing relationship with, with Jesus. Whether you're there or here, you can know Jesus for yourself, and you can experience his power in your life. And thirdly, you can have an eternal perspective, as Paul did, and relate to Jesus and his sufferings now. But when you experience his sufferings, on the opposite side of that, you experience his victories right away. Because Jesus doesn't stay in, in the tomb. Jesus didn't stay on the cross. Jesus didn't stay, um, you know, in, in, the Roman, uh, in front of the Roman soldiers being whipped. He didn't stay there, but he's victorious. Did you guys know that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father? There's victory Although he suffered, there's victory. Although he was whipped, there's victory. Although he was, you know, then seated in the, in, the, in the garden praying, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Guess what? It didn't pass from him. He experienced it. He suffered, but now he sits in glory. Amen? But now you sit in glory as well. That is those who give their uh, life to Christ. Amen? This is all for the purpose of truly knowing your Savior. Paul counted everything lost to know Christ. What's standing in your way to, of, of knowing Christ? What's standing in your way of knowing Christ? Do you know him, church? Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for the experience that Paul went through, God. Lord, he's saying in his word, or excuse me, you're saying in your word through Paul's writing that he wanted to experience you, God, and that he could experience you. That he, he counted everything lost in this world. He counted uh, a, a status. He counted um, a, as a loss. He counted money as a loss. He counted um, being someone of respect, of high caliber, being someone who persecuted Christians and, and having all this respect for him. And, and people feared him, Lord. 
But Lord, he counted it all loss. He says, I don't want, I don't want a, a reputation like that. I counted it all loss compared to knowing Christ. So Lord, thank you for your word. And if there's someone here today that has been pricked at their heart, at their spirit, maybe all those doubts are arising or all those thoughts and just there's questions that you have answered that have been answered through God's word today. And if there's someone here that wants to give their life to Christ, I'll share it with this, that you can accept Jesus into your heart today. Accept what he did on the cross. Accept that he rose again. Believe in your heart that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you new life. And also confess with your heart the wrongdoings that you've made in your past. And give your life to Christ. Amen.